0: for coming back this evening. Well, you know, uh, this is entitled What Every Christian Needs to Know. And I just thought it would be a gimmicky title to get people's interest and then have them come and figure out wonder what in the world he's going to talk about. So that's why I picked the title. What I thought I would do is over the next, uh, well, there's four weeks now, I thought I'd just cover some of the things out of the scripture that over the last 23 years have had a significant impact in my life and my walk. Ken, if you could give me a little more monitor, please. I'd appreciate it. Thank you. So, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Lord, we want to thank you tonight so much for blessing us with talented musicians and singers who can lead us in public worship, who can lead us, Lord, into your presence. We thank you, Lord, for everything you've done for us. We thank you so much for your son. We thank you, Lord, for your amazing generosity with us. And, Lord, I just pray tonight that you would open our eyes and our hearts. And give us a believing spirit, a willingness to embrace what your word has for us. Lord, you know the truth can change our lives, have such a marvelous and wonderful impact on our lives if we'll let it. So open the eyes of our heart tonight. Might we see you as you really are, in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> I was recently sent up a, a story <coughs> excuse me, through my email forward, and usually I don't read them case you were wondering. Well, I mean the forwards that come from 2,000 other people. You know, you get so many things. So, this was sent from a really good friend, and I thought, well, he usually doesn't forward stuff, so it must be kind of good. <clears throat> it was a story, a true story, of this father and son. This was probably about 35 years ago, and and um, the son was graduating from college. His father was a very wealthy man. and <clears throat> The son really wanted... A new Ford Mustang convertible. Really bad. That's what he wanted for his graduation. And he asked the father, he begged the father, and you know, father didn't say much to him, so he figures probably gonna be a surprise. And come graduation day is he's at the house and they're having a little party and and the father walks up to him and hands him a box and says, This is your present, and <clears throat> so he opens it of course, assuming that it's gonna be a set of car keys. And he opens the box and inside the father was a fairly spiritual religious man. The son had kind of drifted, uh, but still they were very well to do family And He opens up the box and there's this Bible. <clears throat> it says, Holy Bible in gold lettering, black leather and his name's at the bottom. <clears throat> and the son just becomes irate, takes the Bible, throws it down on the floor, leaves. And uh, <clears throat> for whatever reason, there must have been some other, you know, water that had gone over this bridge. He doesn't talk to the father for some years. And then finally, the father gets sick, and he gets put in the hospital, and and uh, so he's you know he's gonna die. Basically, the doctors have told him. So the son finally comes back to make peace with his father and talks to his father briefly. His father dies. He goes back to the house and he begins to think about his life and his father, and he begins to think a little bit about spirituality and God, and he finds that old Bible the father had kept it right there on the shelf from probably the next 15 or 20 years. and He opens up the Bible and inside there was a hole cut in it and a set of car keys to a brand new Ford Mustang. <clears throat> but <clears throat> the car was gone and the dealership was gone. And all those years, <clears throat> excuse me, he had misconstrued what he thought was his father overlooking him. <clears throat> and if he would have just trusted him, <clears throat> I'm sorry. One of these days I'll get over it. anyway, If he would have just trusted him and opened it, he would have claimed this wonderful new gift that his father had given him, but for whatever reason, he didn't have time to get into his Bible. And I want to talk to you tonight about the power of the promises of God and how few Christians are really laying hold of what is rightfully theirs because they just don't have time to crack open the book. For the last 23 years of my life, I have lived my life based on the promises of God and I was taught... Very early in my Christian experience, how important it is to claim what the Bible says. To, it's kind of like uh, sticking your, you know, your flagpole right there in that one. That one's mine, and I'm going to believe it for this situation. So, what I would like to do is go through a number of passages in the Bible and then give you uh, a number of different examples of how the promises of God impact in my life and how they can certainly impact yours. So, if you turn to Romans chapter four. <coughs> And I want you to ponder this evening how many things you may have already missed because you've not claimed these promises. But even more, I want you to think off to the future and say to yourself, I refuse to miss the blessings and the gifts that God wants to give me in the future because I didn't take the time to open the book, read it, and discover it for myself and lay hold of these promises. Romans chapter 4 and verse 16. I'm reading from the New Living Bible. (coughs) So that's why faith is the key. God's promise is given to us as a free gift. And we are certain to receive it whether or not we follow Jewish customs if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. (coughs) That is why this... That is what the scripture means when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who brings into existence what didn't exist before. When God promised Abraham that he would become the father of many nations, Abraham believed him. God had also said, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars, even though such a promise seemed utterly impossible. And Abraham's faith did not weaken even though he knew that he was too old to be a father at the age of 100 and that Sarah his wife had never been able to have children. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger and in this he brought glory to God. He was absolutely convinced that God was able to do anything he promised and because of Abraham's faith God declared him to be righteous. I have gone over this passage many, many times in my life. But what I want you to understand first of all is this is how God intends every Christian to live a dynamic and an overcoming and a victorious Christian experience and vibrant faith in God. And that is by appropriating the personal promises from God in the Bible to your daily life. God is as involved in our lives today, wants to be as involved as he was in Abraham's. Abraham had a very personal faith in God. Let us never forget that we have a very personal God. We don't have a, <coughs> excuse me, an arbitrary God or an impersonal God, but we have one who's very intimate, very fatherly, very loving, very tender, very wise, very good, very powerful, and he wants to get involved in your life personally. But I want to share something with you. Okay? And This is very important that you understand this as I go through the evening. God is only empowered to get involved in your life as you claim promises from God. God's promises are what unlock His ability to work and perform answers in your life. It's not that God can't. Don't, don't misunderstand me. It's not that God is weak. It's not that God needs me or he can't do anything. God can do whatever he wants. But God in his relationship with you has limited his involvement in your life based upon your faith in him. Based upon whether or not, and you'll you'll understand this as I go on, if it seems a little muddy right now, it'll get clearer. But based upon whether or not you believe the promises. For example, <clears throat> if Abraham... Had decided not to believe God and not to claim this promise, and just got on his merry way and said, "You know, God, I've been waiting." He waited twenty-five years, by the way. I've been waiting fifteen. Forget it. I'm tired of it. Your way. I'm just going to go. Turn my back on you. Do my own thing. You have to wonder if he would have seen the promise of God fulfilled. Noah's an example. What if Noah? God told Noah that He would save. The world through him, he begin, Noah knew God was going to begin it all over. And let's say Noah got halfway through the ark and decided, this is crazy, this is absurd. God isn't going to come through and walked away. There would have been no Noah in the ark. You think about <clears throat> all the things, uh, all the Old Testament men and women of the faith, you think of David. David applied God's principle, God's promise to deliver him from the enemy when he attacked Goliath. If David had decided to cower in fear, David would not have killed Goliath. It wasn't that David was a pawn in the hands of God and he was rather robotic and he had no choice in the matter. We have a choice in the matter. And Abraham had a choice in the matter. God gives us promises for personal areas of our life and that's what I want to get to this evening. This was a very personal promise to Abraham. Abraham was like any other man and woman particularly in those days. Men and women in the Jewish society were not like men and women today. You would have probably not found anyone in ancient Israel who did not want a child. Today that's very common but it was not common in these Jewish times, in these ancient times. They really believed that children were a blessing from the Lord. They really believed that blessed was the man or woman who had a whole quiver full. They believed that. They believed that children were a reward and a gift from God. And they wanted them. And it was a shame in that culture. A public shame not to have children. (coughs) Sarah, had been humiliated in her own way. She felt humiliated. You remember the story of Samuel. You remember how his mother begged and begged and begged God for a child. That's what every Jewish woman felt. They wanted a child. Because a child was a significant thing from God, an immortal, eternal soul in which a life could be invested in and given back to God for His use and glory. And that's what every Old Testament woman and man wanted, was to give those children back to God For God to use. So, finally, at 75 years of age, God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you a child, but I'm not just going to give you one child. Through your child, all the nations will be blessed and your descendants will be as numerous as the sands of the seashore. Well, it had a dual meaning, see. There's a dual meaning. Much Old Testament prophecy had a dual meaning. Number one, he meant that through his son Isaac, All of Israel, the nation, will come. And you'll be the father of a mighty nation with thousands and thousands and hundreds of millions of descendants. But he also meant that the Messiah would also be born through the line of Abraham. And through the Messiah, your descendants will go on into the billions and on into eternity. And, of course, they both came true. Notice... That the promise of God empowered Abraham. Now, Abraham was a human being. You know what I really like about the promises of God? Is we can make mistakes and still see their fulfillment. Okay? We can struggle in our faith, but still see the fulfillment. You say, well, how is that true? Abraham slept with Hagar. That wasn't the plan. Wasn't a good idea. And he shouldn't have listened to his wife. She was the one who suggested it. But he's the one who did it. And he's ultimately responsible. Now, because of that, you may not know this because you may not know biblical history, Hagar was the the mother of Ishmael. Ishmael was the father of the Arab nation and the Arabs and the Jews have been brutal enemies ever since. (coughs) Praise God, a nation came about and many Arabs have come to know Jesus Christ. Many have not. (coughs) Many have not. Abraham disobeyed what God wanted him to do. God didn't hold it against him. In fact, The New Testament reveals to us God's opinion of Abraham. It always reveals the mercy of God. And you see that he says, (coughs) Abraham grew stronger and he brought glory to God. He was absolutely convinced that God was able to do anything he promised. And because of Abraham's faith, God declared him righteous. I want you to turn, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and I, I'm going to read this to you this evening out of my NIV Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1, <clears throat> and we'll start with verse 3. <clears throat> God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these... He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The point of this passage is that first of all, God's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. Everything. There's nothing you lack. Now you may say, you know, I wasn't prepared for life by my parents. I wasn't prepared for my life by my education. I don't feel prepared. Just for now, put that out of your mind, go to this verse, and it says God has given you everything you need for life and for godliness. And I really believe that's true. For example, maybe you weren't taught character as a child. Okay, let's just say you weren't. Let's just say you grew up a spoiled, selfish brat. You went through your teen years, you were thoughtless, all you thought about was yourself. You've gone from job to job. Maybe you used to drink. Maybe you used to do drugs. Maybe you're very promiscuous. I don't know what your past was. Now you've come to Christ. Okay? Now you've come to Christ. What does Galatians tell us? Galatians tells us, but the fruit of the Spirit, not your fruit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And every other thing that you need in your life for life and godliness. In other words, you've been born into a new family. But you haven't just been born into that family. You have God's very nature now living inside of you, powered by the most powerful entity in the universe, God Himself, lives inside of you. You do and you must believe that you have the ability to be patient where you've never been before. You do and you must believe that you have the ability to be self-controlled. And as you learn, just like a little child, you know, imagine your little, I forget the ages, maybe nine months to a year and two months, a child starts to walk. And imagine, every time they try, you're over them, you can't walk, you can't walk, knock it off, stay down. Well, you know, fortunately, I've never seen a parent quite that, no, parents can be cruel. But I've never experienced anyone doing that before. That little child, even though, by the way, no one tells them, usually, uh, it's time to walk now. There's this instinct that kicks in. And they begin to get up and they fall down on their little bottom, sometimes right on their face. Sometimes they take really bad falls, like they hit the corner of end tables or all kinds of things. Have you ever seen a kid after he hits his end table, not want to try to walk for a month? I've never, I've had four kids, never. They never do that. Praise God he didn't make them that stupid. But Christians, you know what, let me tell you something. He didn't make us that stupid either. We're, we're willfully stupid. We're willfully pig-headed. He didn't make us that pig-headed. We tell ourselves, stay down! Stay down! You can't do that! You can't do that. And God telling you that? Sometimes it's the devil, but often it's you. It's you telling you that. Instead of, hey, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Whoa! I'm a new person. God lives in me. I am capable of love. I am capable of joy. I am capable of peace. I am capable of being faithful. My father wasn't faithful, my mother wasn't faithful. I'm capable of being faithful for the rest of my life to this person. Because God lives in my life. I'm different, I'm special, I'm supernatural. And that's the truth. You may think I'm stupid, but that's kind of why I'm here and you're there. Because I've been stupid enough to tell myself this stuff for 23 years. And I believe it. It's had an impact in my life. It's had an impact in how I live. It's had an impact in my marriage. It's had an impact in my family now it has an impact on you. God gives us promises, you see, and when we lay hold of them, then all of a sudden, we're able, we go, now, now see, if that's true, if God says that's true, then that would lead me to this conclusion. And I'm going to illustrate some of those to you in a moment. Go to Psalm ninety one four, and we're going to look at this in your uh, New Living Bible. Now I'm going to read it from my journal, because this was my verse I wrote down the other day. On the 22nd, Psalm 91, four, He will shield you with His wings. He will shelter you with His feathers. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. For example, Corinthians tells us, <coughs> no temptation has come upon you, but such is common to everybody. You're not alone. Every other person you could ever imagine has incurred that kind of temptation in one way or another. But God is able with the temptation to give you all the grace you need so that you can escape the alluring power of the temptation. So what that promise says if I decide to make it mine is yes I'm tempted and yes all my friends are tempted too I'm not alone. But God is able to give me the strength and the grace to walk away from that temptation. And escape it. And as we learn to believe that and we learn to apply it, more and more often we see that success in our life. I want you to turn to Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 21. Joshua 21, and verse 43. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they conquered it and settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had solemnly promised their ancestors. None of their enemies could stand against them, for the Lord helped them conquer all their enemies. All of the good promises the Lord had given Israel came true. Now turn to chapter 23 and verse 14. Soon I will die going the way of all the earth. I want you to pretend for a moment not that I'm going to die, please, not yet anyway, but that this is the last time you're ever going to hear anything I have to say. How would you listen to this evening? Okay? Soon I will die going the way of all the earth. Deep in your hearts you know that every promise of the Lord your God has come true, not a single one has failed. I'd underline that in your Bible. Don't ever forget it. God always does what He says He will do. Always. He keeps His Word. He keeps His Word. He keeps His Word. And I want to tell you something. He's more reliable than the bank. He's more reliable than your spouse. He's more reliable than the stock market. He's more reliable than your Honda. He's more reliable than the son God never, ever, ever wears thin, runs out of juice, runs out of energy. He's not doesn't need to be recharged and He never discharges. He is a self-sustaining unit at all times at peak, top performance. He keeps His Word. And that is spiritual money that you're going to have to learn to take to the bank if you want to really lay hold of the life that God has for you. Turn to Psalm 145. And verse thirteen. <clears throat> this is one of my favorite psalms, for a lot of reasons. But this is one of the reasons. It's psalm one forty-five, verse thirteen. Um, that's not the right one. It's the right psalm. So let me find the right verse. There's one verse in here that says the Lord is faithful to all He promises. Is it 13? Thank you. Uh, From your kingdom is everlasting kingdom, your, your rule generation after generation. The Lord is faithful in all He says. He is gracious in all He does. And then if you would go to Psalm 119 and verse 140... Your promises have been thoroughly tested. That is why I love them so much. And Psalm 147 and 148. I rise early before the sun is up. I cry out for help and put my hope in your words. I stay awake through the night thinking about your promise. Thinking about your promise. You know, it's no wonder the psalmist had such a vibrant spirituality. Spirituality. He invested in it. He was up before the dawn. He was crying out to God. He was putting his hope. Notice, notice the action here, okay? First of all, he gets up out of bed. Before the sun comes up. Before, I guess you could say, the day's activities get going. Notice, secondly, that he cried out to God. He sought God, which shows his humility in his heart to go after God. And then he cries out to God. It wasn't just kind of, bless me Lord, bless this day and... Help me as I travel my way. It wasn't some cute little thing. He cried out to God. And then what did he do? All right? He put his hope in God's Word. And then at night, now he didn't do this every night, but through the night, he would think about God's promises, and they kept him going. They kept him going. What's going to keep you going? What's going to keep you going? Have you learned how to take your hope and place it in God? I think that is something as Christians we need to really excel in in our lives. What I would like to do is just go through now some illustrations of some promises over the years that I have God has spoken to me and it's given me tremendous energy and courage to face difficult challenging situations. One of the first ones is in Psalm 27. 13 and 14. And uh, I'm going to quote that to you actually from the New American Standard Bible. Um, but you can look it up anyway. But it's not going to read quite the same. And so when I quote it from this other version, you'll understand why this one hit me. Long time ago, uh, during my engagement, I was, I was I was ebbing and flowing with my hope as to whether or not this marriage was ever going to happen. Because of... Uh, You know, the tremendous opposition from Kathy's family. And um, about five months after we were engaged, we were in a really, really bad car accident. Uh, We were coming back from an outreach to uh, Columbia, Missouri. And we were driving up the freeway, and it was myself and Kathy and my brother David and and another woman named Karen. And we just dropped her off in Des Moines, and we were headed for Ames. We only got 40 more miles to go. And um, we just switched drivers. Kathy was driving... And I was trying to go to sleep. And uh, I had this 1964 Ford Falcon. Metal dashboard, no seatbelts, no, you know, head deals, no nice, soft, uh, collapsible steering wheel and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, it was uh, just blinding snow and ice and the roads were super icy just as we headed. It just came out of nowhere and the temperature dropped. I think it had already been dropping. And... Um, I had fallen asleep and the next thing I know I wake up and the car's kind of bumping and thumping and my glasses of course I wear glasses so I would had them off and I woke up and to a thud and I look over and the steering wheel snapped off and I reach up and the f- and the front window's gone and I felt something on my head and it was blood coming down my head and I looked over and my wife was hunched over and which one my wife yet, but um she was hunched over, and make a long story short, the car. So they told us, had rolled end over end. we we we'd gone uh, hit some ice, and and hit, gone in a ditch, hit a culvert, and flipped the car over at least once. They think more than once. If you saw pictures, I have pictures of the car. Uh, the the whole roof of the car was just almost down to the window. And well, it's a wonder we we're even alive. I don't know how we lived, to be honest. Just a god thing. But Kathy ended up in the hospital a week, and. And, and the only way we got to the hospital was my brother, in a daze, ran out into the middle of the highway in front of a semi and stood there with a pillow and he would not move. And the guy, you know, stopped and called with receive CB the ambulance. It was so bad out that the ambulance drove five miles an hour to the hospital. And I remember at that moment, to be really honest, I felt a whole lot of emotions. I, I was thankful that she was alive, but the way she was communicating, I thought maybe a lung was punctured. And ribs were broken. Um, but, you know, I didn't know. And I was frustrated and I was hurt and I was angry and I was doubting and I was just, you know, God, you just made this a whole heck of a lot worse. <laughs> the only blessing is that I wasn't driving because if I'd have been driving, her parents would kill me. They'd kill me. At least we can say, and of course, I'm up in the hospital going, do I call him? Or don't I call him? Nah, I don't think I'll call him. I think I'll wait a day or two till she can call (laughs) him. And she can tell him. I mean, that's how bad the situation was. That's how much hate there was in the situation. So, I was just beginning to wonder, to be honest, if we were ever going to get married. If maybe it wasn't going to happen. Or maybe the Lord was going to come back and I would never get to get married. So as I was praying and I was seeking the Lord and trying to grow, I came across this verse, Psalm 27, 13 and 14. It says this, I would have despaired. And you know what despair means. Despair is even worse than depression. It means you just, it's the end. You just give up life. Just No, I just don't want nothing. You're just despairing. Unless I had believed, I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage, Mark. Yes, wait for the Lord. Now, that particular day, that promise was more than words on a page. It was like God coming to me just like He did Abraham. And He said to me, Mark, I want to tell you something. You're going to get to marry her before you die. In the land of the living, not the land of the dead, the land of the living, you're going to see my goodness. Now here's what I want you to do. Wait. I don't want to hear that. Wait. Wait. Let your heart take courage. Be strong and wait for me and you will see my goodness. But if you give up believing that you will all you have left is despair and discouragement and depression. It's a struggle of faith, isn't it? It's always a struggle of faith. But the only way you win the struggle of faith is through personal promises from God. That's how you win. That's how you win. And I have them for almost every era of my life. <coughs> anyway, that verse has come in handy now through the years because I got married, so I use it for lots of other things. Okay, now I want you to go to Matthew six thirty-three, Matthew chapter six and verse thirty-three. This is a promise upon which um, I banked my entire family's future. Uh, again I'll quote this from the NIV well we'll read verse 31 here and then I'll tell you the other version so don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing why be like the pagans that means heathen lost people people who don't know Christ why be like non-Christians who are so deeply concerned about these things your heavenly father already knows all your needs and he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him And make the kingdom of God your primary concern. So Mark, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now I don't know about you. But when you're going to be a parent. you're, You're opened up to a whole new world of worry and anxiety and pressures. It's one getting married. But then when you start having babies. You know there's a whole lot of pressures. And I remember thinking to myself. My situation probably was very different than I would say the majority of you in this room. Some of you it wasn't, but the majority was different. I had no education. I had a $200 F85 Oldsmobile. Okay? Three speed on the column, maroon paint that was fading really bad from the sun. I had no money in the bank, no money to my name. I was making $5.50 an hour at Ramada Inn as a breakfast cook when I got married. Um, my wife number, well two things number one we weren't going to have her work we agreed on that because we believed that God had other plans for her number two she really couldn't because the accident permanently damaged my wife's back I had no insurance of any kind and three weeks after we were married my wife conceived so I'm expecting my first child no insurance not really worried because you know we're going to have the baby at home we were really radical. Not that I believe it's biblical to have your baby at home. We just thought we'd do it. The women have been doing it for years, right? So we figured we'd save a lot of money. Anyway, I won't go down that road. So anyway, we're going to these classes, and, and I'm working at this Ramadi Inn, and and uh, we had this cute little apartment near the campus we paid $123 a month for. It. So, you know, that's how we made it. And I had my F85 Oldsmobile. And... Um, about a month before the baby was going to be born, Kathy went to see the doctor and he said, You know, Kathy, um, your baby's not turned. Oh, what does that mean? Well, it means if, if the baby doesn't turn, you'll have a footling breech. Not a good idea. Doesn't come out that way. Means like this. The feet are here, the butt's here, and it's got to come out butt and feet. It doesn't work. that. I won't get into biology. for the, But it doesn't work that way. So we waited, we waited, and finally, not only do we not have a home birth, not only did I have insurance, but my first child was a cesarean, costing $7,000. dollars whoo hoo that's cool. Not only that, but because Kathy did not choose the life her parents wanted for her, they told me, we're not going to give her her education, you owe the $8,000 student loans. So now, I'm making $5.50 an hour, my $200 car, and I fifteen $15,000 in debt. Cool. That's really cool. Pressure. 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 All sides. God was just kind of, you know, pressure. Probably read recently in your, in your Bible, I have refined you, but not like silver is refined. I refined you in the furnace of affliction. So this is what God's doing, you know, in my life. And I kept going back to this verse. You know what, God? I'm seeking first your kingdom. Now you got to give me what I need. I'm seeking first your kingdom you got to give me what I need. I was not like many of you and I'm not saying it was smart by the way. my son, I'm having my son go about life a lot different than I went about it. let me put it that way. okay I told my son I said son, now here's the plan. you're gonna work here for a year and a half, save up $16, thousand dollars and you're gonna go to Brown Institute and well you know because he's interested I'm not choosing his career path for him okay but uh, he's got to create a creative, very creative side I said, look this is the future for $16,000 you can go here and you can come out and you're going to need to make between fifty dollars and $70,000 a year if you want to provide for a wife and three or four kids. Wouldn't be a good idea to repeat my mistakes. But at the same time, son, realize God used them as training in my life and I don't regret them. So all those years, I had no money. You know, I started saving money. Not that I'm really proud of this, but I just felt like I was able to start uh, four years ago. Now, I should have listened to my mother and always put $10 in the bank mark each week. I never did it. Would have developed a nice habit, but of course I didn't listen to my mother. This verse, I have gone back to this verse so many times. For life, for cars, for family, for my children's education. I want you to go to Philippians chapter 4. I want to show you something. This is another personal promise. Now, you must realize that the promise in Matthew is a conditional promise. If you don't seek first the kingdom of God, then God will not meet all your needs. It'll be up to you. Follow me? But if you seek first the kingdom of God, and you adopt a biblical lifestyle, and you live and go after the things that are on God's heart, God promises to take care of you well I have four children and uh, I've learned a lot of lessons over the years and sometime you know I'll dribble them out a little bit at a time but in Philippians 4.19 probably the biggest lesson I've learned in these 19 years is that faith works and God keeps his word and it's a great way to raise your family by and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs for his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus now Put your finger there. Hold on to that, and go to Luke chapter eleven. Matthew, Mark, Luke, we'll, and we'll combine a couple of these really cool promises. Luke nine and uh, verse nine, Luke eleven, verse nine. So I tell you, keep on asking, and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And the door is open to everyone who knocks. I believe that God really answers prayer. And of course, I talked to you about that last week. I believe God really cares about the things in our life. I believe that as we seek the Lord, God has a great desire to honor our requests. And He takes care of us. He's a wonderful Father. Well... I was busy, I guess here's the way to put it. I was busy taking care of God's business, I expected him to take care of mine. Does that make sense? That's what Matthew 6.33 means. Now society, they are busy neglecting, most Christians are busy neglecting God's business and they're diligently seeking theirs. It's one of the reasons there's so much unhappiness among the supposedly 80 million born-again Christians in this country is because God's house, which is the body of Christ, which is new people being added to that through salvation, is being neglected. And we're too busy making a life for ourselves. And by the way, the Bible promises that if you go after your own life, if you keep your life, you lose it. If you lose your life, in other words, don't worry about your business, go after God's business, you will find real life. Okay? That doesn't mean you neglect your wife, neglect your children, etc., etc. So, I was busy trying to grow in my faith, trying to do the best that I could, working as many hours as I could, trying to serve the Lord, serve the church, use my talents, my gifts, my resources for the kingdom of God. And I would regularly bring my requests before the Lord. I remember there were little simple things like when I was praying for a car, you know my car story, and God gave me a car at the last moment. Eight hours before I had to show up for work. But there were lots of other things. There were bikes for my kids. There was, uh, I remember the time when my wife and I was working uh, almost 75 hours a week. And someone came to our church. And uh, a guy that I really respected, a pastor. And he shared in the first time I ever heard on tithing. Tithing, in case you want to know, here's all it means. For every dollar God gives you, all he asks for is a dime. That's, that's the standard. For every dollar God gives you, he asks for a dime. You keep 90 cents, you, you give him a dime. So if he gives you $10, you give him 10 dimes. He gives you $100, 100 dimes. $1,000, 1,000 dimes. I'd never heard that before. And he took me to a passage in Malachi. He took all of us. I'd never heard that. So I went home that night. Kathy was there. We both looked at each other. And I just bought a car from a friend for $600. He was going to let me give him uh, $100 a month for it. It was a real step up from the Pinto that I was driving. And um, Kathy and I were, after we put the babies to bed that night, we were sitting out in the living room and she said, you know, Mark, um, tonight really spoke to me. And how about you? I said, it really spoke to me, Kathy. She said, well, um, you think we should start doing that? I said, well, yeah, I do, sweetheart, but what you need to understand is if I do that, I need to work two and a half more years at Zap Nights because that's how much long it'll take us to get out of debt. And I'm more than willing to do that because I believe if we honor God, He will always honor us. So instead of taking that 200 extra dollars or however much it was, I think then it was like $110 because I think I was making $11,000 a year. We took that 111; We gave it every month. First time I gave it, that first month, two days later, the phone rang and it was this guy I bought the car from. He said, you know Mark, I don't know why I was spending time with the Lord the other day, but I just felt the Lord wanted me to call you and tell you, you know what? The two hundred dollars you've given me already—that's it. I don't want any more. I said, "Oh no, wait a minute. Are you sure? Because you know, I don't—I don't, I don't want to be no sympathy case for you. I mean, I made an agreement with you, and I'll pay it." He goes, "No, I really felt this is what the Lord wanted me to do." Kathy and I went in the living room that night. We both shed some tears over that. Here we had stepped out an one hundred eleven dollar investment, and God had wiped out the whole debt. Now I'm gonna promise that's gonna happen for everything. But I'll tell you this. God has done one thing after another after another in my life and I have never not given money to God. <clears throat> I have my tithe automatically just taken right out of my check every month. All the pastors do. And and you know I guess with kids you know college age it'd be a lot you could do with that money I don't don't want to touch it. It's God's money. It's God's. Well then, I remember about 4 years ago the van that I had, well I was kind of in, I felt anyway, you may feel different, but I kind of felt boxed in. The station wagon I was driving was going to need about eight or $900 worth of repairs and it wasn't even worth that much. So I had a decision to make. I had no money saved and I needed a vehicle. So I went to the, uh, the car dealership. I told Kathy, I, I, we prayed about it together. And I said, Kathy, I'm going to go look today. It was the day before uh, New Year's. And right around that time after Christmas, is a good time to go at car dealers because they want to get rid of their inventory. I used to work at a dealership, so I kind of know that. But I said, if, if you were, would you rather have a station wagon or a van? Because I'm going to come home with something. This is kind of how we do things. The men go hunt and the woman stays home. You don't have to do that. That's just how I do things. So, you know, I got her thoughts and feelings and I said, is there any color you don't want? Don't want white. Please do not come home with white. I said, okay. Would you want a wagon or a van? I'd rather have a van. I said, okay. You pray. I'm going to go out. Here was my plan. While the car still would run, I figured I could get a thousand for it. But the guy told me it ain't going to run much longer. Because the antifreeze and the oil were mixing. Okay? I told him that, by the way, too. So I drove it in, and and the guy said, well, what are you looking for? I said, I want a used van. It's got about 20,000 miles on it. I want a light brown one. And I want the extended version, Aerostar, and I need to drive off with it today. But before I do that, we have to drive it to my house to see if it'll fit in the garage because I live in an old house with one of those small garages it don't fit. I can't take it. <laughs> so he said, well, okay. So he looks through his books. He says, well, my goodness, we just had this one come in yesterday. We didn't have this. It's used. had 20,000 miles on it. So he sold it to me. It was a fairly good deal, but not really because I had the interest and, you know, I'll never do that again. Now I've planned different. So... This van was finally coming to the end of its, the road. and But I had taken pretty good care of it. So I was able to get a little money for it. But one day out of the blue, I was out spending time with the Lord. I just said, Lord, you, you know I'm a pastor, Lord. I'm not a salesman anymore. and I'm I'm not in the technology field. And I don't have money, you know, growing on trees. So you know what, Lord? Bless my money. I'm just going to ask you right now. Bless my money. Make my money go farther than it ought to go. Make it bigger than the dollar that it is. Five days later, my brother calls me from Texas. He says, Mark, he said, uh, I was wondering if you're interested in, in the market for a van. Well, I just paid mine off three months earlier. And usually you're not in the market. You know, you want to want to rest without the payments. I said, well, I guess, you know, maybe the Lord brought you in my path. What do you got? So I got a 93-year-old star van. I had a 90. Extended version. It's got a heavy-duty transmission, the heavy-duty engine. I ordered everything special on it. It's got a transmission cooler. The company that I work for had it. It's got 19,000 miles on it, and I think they're willing to sell it for four or five thousand dollars below book, like around nine thousand. Oh, nine thousand. I said, "Well, I, geez, I don't know, David." I said, "It's really nice of you to call me." I said, "Well, let me think about it." So I went out and prayed. I said, "Lord." You know what? Thinking ahead here, my van does have 145,000 miles on it, Lord. And, uh, Lord, I just pray if you want me to have that van. I want to ask you to give it to me for between five dollars and $6,000. Somewhere right in there, Lord. But I can't pay nine. 2 days later, David calls me back. He goes, First thing he says out of his mouth, I just can't believe this, Mark. I cannot believe what's going on. So, what's going on? He said, Well, the guys came back to me and they said they don't even want to make money on the van. All they have, uh, all they want for it is fifty-nine hundred dollars. He said, "Man, I can't believe it. I had to buy it." And I said, "You know what, David? I said, you know what? I will never get in the way between a, a, a brother and a brother. If you want to buy it, you go ahead and go for it." He goes, "No, I got a ninety-three van. It's only got thirty thousand miles on it. I don't need it. It's just a great deal." I said, "Well, I got to tell you, that's exactly what I was praying for." He said, "Well, you got to take it because it would have never happened to me. I wasn't praying." So, I went to the bank, got a super reasonable loan with the interest and the, the payment on the van. It was still $5,000 less than I could have drove it here and sold it for the day I brought it back. A friend flew me down to Texas for $75 on their companion pass and I drove it back. And that's what I've had ever since. Since that time, there's been one other, other another, and another that God has blessed me with. The whole point, I guess, of what I'm saying, and I'm out of time this evening... Is the promises of God are in this book, and they're meant for you to personally use. Use. I got to close with one more, okay? Because especially for your parents, I know you're worried. You wonder. You know, should my kids have this? Where can I send them? Can I send them to college? Of course, I wonder the same thing. And I just said to the Lord, Lord, you know, you got to open a door. We've been home. My wife's been homeschooling these kids all these years, and I don't got no money to send them to school, Lord. But I want them to succeed, and I want them prepared for life. So between their sophomore and junior year, we were praying that May, the end of May, Lord, open a door. Show me what to do. What should we do? Should we keep doing them at home? Should we send them somewhere? And I was talking to a friend, and a friend of mine said, you know what? I did post-secondary education. I said, what, what is I never heard of that. What is that? Well, what it is, instead of going to high school, you go to college The state of Minnesota has this law that very few people know about. That if you'll take your junior and senior year at college instead of high school, the state will pay for it. And it could be any college other than like uh, McAllister or whatever. I said, you're kidding. No. And it's free. I said, thank you very much. I came home. I said, Kathy, here's what we're going to do. I want you to go to Normandale. I want you to talk to counselors. And I want to get Jeremy Celeste into Normandale. And here's what I want you to do. I don't want any high school courses. Forget high school. I want you to load them all up with college courses. Are you serious? You know, I'm kind of usually a little ahead of Kathy, so it was a little overwhelming. And I said, yeah, let's go for it. Two months later, they took the test. They were in. Two years later, they've both been working full-time now a year and three months. And uh, my daughter's working at American Express, and, and and they have a education reimbursement program. And my son, well, his... His course is kind of plotted out in a lot of ways and I'm not going to get into all of them this evening. Anyway, I said all that just to highlight to you this evening. My voice is, I'm losing the strength of my voice. That God will keep His Word to you always. Always. You don't have to be the richest person in the world. You don't have to be the smartest person in the world. You don't have to be the brightest who plans every contingency plan. Although plans of the diligent lead to advantage. God's promises are your ace in the hole. And that's what I wanted to drive home to you tonight. Take your journal. I'll give you two suggestions before we close in prayer. You can do one of two things. You're doing your one-year Bible and some of you are reading passages in the Bible you've never read before, right? You're, You're coming across really cool verses you've never come across before. When you do, highlight them. And then... Have, a, have either a section in this journal or buy just a promise journal and have categories. Marriage, mate, kids, job, money. And write down under those categories your promises and go over them and make them, make them your personal promises for living. And I'll tell you something. That's the secret to my strength. That's why I'm the way. I have them for ministry. I have them for my personal life, for personal growth, for the mates of my children, for the way my children grow up. I have promises. All of them. Promises. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your word. and, Lord, I just thank you that we can declare that you're a faithful God and you keep your word and you always do what you say. Please bless my brothers and sisters here this evening. They can take this or leave it. Lord, if they leave it, uh, they leave behind maybe the greatest blessing that we can experience this side of heaven. Believing what you say and seeing you do miracles in our lives. But I've seen it. And I, for one, Lord, I'm not going back. I'm going to keep believing you. There's so many more things that you want to do. So many more things that I am anxiously, excitedly, expectantly hoping that you're going to come through and do. And I look forward every day to get out of bed just wondering maybe this is the day that that thing I've been praying for will happen. Thank you, Lord, for giving me such a great life, for giving all of us in this room such a marvelous life. Bless each brother and sister here. Speak to them personally through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.